Back up top, shot through traffic, save made, follow-up try, that one hits a body in front, and a score! It's a score! It's a score! And the Ice Bears have a 4-3 lead with 30 seconds remaining in the hockey game! Oh, what a hit! Welcome to the SPHL in Knoxville! Comes in on the right side, through the right circle, taking it and fed across, they score! Welcome to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. I'm Joel Silverberg. Thank you so much for checking out the KIB pod, whether you're doing so on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Thank you for listening to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. So mixing things up a little bit this week as we're now officially into the offseason. There's no hockey to discuss. Last week, we recapped the President's Cup championship series between Roanoke and Birmingham. Roanoke has had their uh, parade. They've had, I, I believe it's May 8th. That is now Rail Yard Dogs Day in the Star City. So uh, everything is pretty much in the rearview mirror when it comes to hockey. So now all the SPHL fans can turn their attention to following the postseasons and the higher leagues that are still going on and the NHL draft coming up in a few weeks. So uh, a lot of hockey-related things still to look forward to in the hockey world, but as far as the SPHL is concerned, it really does come down to moving on to the offseason and beginning the countdown for October. And with that being said, I decided to mix things up a little bit here and do a mailbag edition of the podcast, reaching out to uh, not just Ice Bears fans, but fans from other teams from around the Southern Professional Hockey League, and so taking your questions and uh, got a few submissions. So really appreciate everybody that participated and going to try to do my best to answer these as, as well as I can. Uh, so we'll just start from the top here. A uh, question coming in from Chase, who is an Ice Bears fan. What is your most memorable moment of commentating for the Ice Bears and why? So Chase, I appreciate the question. And a couple of people responded to this saying it would be the Sicard, Sicard, Sicard call from uh, my first season, that was Knoxville's championship year, 2014 and 15. Uh, for those who may not know the context, Dennis Sicard scored a goal halfway through double overtime as uh, Knoxville ultimately won game two and swept the series against the Louisiana Ice Gators in the President's Cup semifinals that year. And that goal sealed the series and ultimately led to Knoxville defeating Mississippi in two games to win its fourth President's Cup. So that one is obviously up there. Uh, I think the winning the championship a week later was definitely towards the top. That Sicard, Sicard, Sicard call is definitely the one that probably stands out as far as a specific goal call because I still, on occasion, do get a fan or two that may say something about it or mention that they still remember the Sicard call. Um, obviously, that legendary play... I uh, did a poster of the Sicard, Sicard, Sicard call, um, which was really cool to be able to raffle off and give away. They did a couple of calls from over the past decade or so and um, did three different posters that we were able to give away for prizes. And so uh, the Sicard call was definitely one of them. So that's one that definitely stands out. Uh, the championship, being a part of that, just the whole run and getting to be a part of that and then going downtown and uh, hanging out with fans that were celebrating the win was obviously very special. Uh, as far as a game that was really memorable, the uh, the four-goal comeback against Peoria, which I, I believe was actually a year later. That was my second season. 
Um, that game was pretty wild. Knoxville's down four to nothing in the third period, and just slowly but surely, Knoxville just chipped away at the lead. Danny Caesar tied the game in regulation, and after overtime went scoreless, Knoxville was on the brink of losing in the shootout. Caesar scored the tying goal in the shootout, and then after the five rounds had ended, Caesar then scored the game-winning goal to cap off the shootout win. So it was it was a wild, wild comeback for Knoxville against Peoria during an era where Knoxville was really struggling to scrap together wins against the Rivermen. And so that was just a, a crazy game. Uh, Danny Caesar had already, you know, that was his first year in Knoxville. So he had already kind of had a coming out party when he um, sent a player from Columbus through the glass and, uh, you know, then scored the game winning goal in that same game. So uh, I think fans were already pretty aware of who Danny Caesar was. But yeah, that um, that four goal comeback against Peoria was uh, absolutely insane. So uh, a lot of fun for that game. And then just most recently, I, I think really it's just been the the whole run from the 2021-22 season of, you know, 42 wins, um, having a record. And then the year before the 10 game win streak, which was a franchise record, Brett Bovee's goal in overtime to make it 10 wins in a row. Um, and, and just so many big moments over those two years where there was a stretch. It just seemed like those last two teams under Jeff Carr really had a knack for coming back late in games and finding ways to win. Uh, so a lot of moments that have been really special, but definitely, uh, you know, it, it's hard to top playoff hockey and overtime wins, winning a championship. The uh, Jeff Carr's first season, the triple overtime winner from Lawrence Cornelier against Pensacola. That was so crazy. I remember, uh, Marshall Hughes, who worked at WATE in Knoxville at the time, reaching out asking, "Hey, do you still have a voice?" We were, we were there very, very late that night. But man, that was a fun game. So a lot of fun memories, a lot of memorable moments. But um, I think those would probably take the cake. Uh, Chris asks, "Who do you think is the best play-by-play guy in the league? Who is your all-time favorite Ice Bears player, and who would you have liked to see play for Knoxville?" So Chris, also an Ice Bears fan, Chris, really appreciate the questions. Um, so I, I kind of uh, mentioned this on social media a couple of months ago. Uh, for me, the best play-by-play guy in the league, and, and I want to point this out. When I first started in this league, I was not great myself. I did not have any hockey experience. I'd like to think I'm significantly better. I do feel like I'm significantly better now than I was back then. Um, not saying whether or not I'm great or I'm awesome or I'm, I'm going to the NHL or anything like that, but I, I think it's very fair to say that 2023 Joel Silverberg is much better at this than 2014 Joel Silverberg. So with that being said, the league as a whole has gotten so much deeper as far as broadcasters across the league, because there were some teams that didn't employ full-time broadcasters and, and, you know, even some of the ones that did, you know, it was a lot of guys that were really green or mainly working other jobs and, the, the broadcasting was kind of a side gig. And, and so some of the, there were some really tough sounding broadcasters in this league, none of which are, are in hockey broadcasting anymore. But over the last several years, there's been this huge trajectory of what broadcasting in the SPHL has become. And I think the league has built a reputation that it can be a springboard. We're seeing more guys end up in the ECHL. We're, we're seeing more staff members from different teams get jobs in bigger leagues. And the same goes for broadcasters. I mean, in the last couple of years, TJ Shalott, who used to be the voice of the Mississippi River Kings, is now in the AHL with the Charlotte Checkers. Um, Sean Bednard, who 
had worked for both the Fayetteville Marksmen and the Macon Mayhem. He's now in the OHL with the Erie Otters. Andrew Mossbrooks, who was with the Peoria Rivermen, is now with the Cincinnati Cyclones in the ECHL. And then Brian Gardner, who was with the Roanoke Rail Yard Dogs, is now with the Rapid City Rush in the ECHL. And there might be one or two that I'm forgetting, but you know we're just seeing more and more broadcasters not just be good in this league, but be good enough that they can get call-ups to higher leagues as well. So I think overall, you look across the board, and there's really not a sole weak link in the bunch. I know there are a couple of teams that haven't necessarily had full-time broadcasters over the last year or two, but the people that they're getting seem to be doing a good job, and it just seems like every broadcaster in the league, you know, it sounds more professional across the board. Um, but I posted on social media a couple of weeks ago, I think Drew Blevins is probably my pick. And I think what really separates Drew from a lot of other solid broadcasters, because you know, Mitch Stewart in Roanoke is great. Obviously, Eli Gold, you know, due to health issues, wasn't calling games for Birmingham this past year. Um, obviously, you know, former NHL broadcaster. So you obviously have to give him uh, a vote. I, I think Joey down in Macon is doing a great job in the early stages of, of his time with the mayhem. And you know, I could keep going on and on and I'm probably going to miss somebody. But I think what really separates Drew from a lot of other broadcasters in this league is how much of a wordsmith he is. And it, I, I feel like Drew just wakes up every morning and memorizes his thesaurus because it seems like he does such a great job at being able to describe the exact same play. Because that, that's the thing with SPHL hockey is it's a developmental league. And so sometimes you see a lot of the same things happen. You do in other leagues as well. But you're going to see the same play a bunch of times over the course of a single game, which means you're going to see that same play a ton of times over the course of a season. Drew does a great job at describing the same play a million different ways. Um, and I think he does a great job at staying behind the action and controlling his pace. That's something that I know I struggle with as a broadcaster. That's something that in this sport, a lot of broadcasters struggle with uh, starting out. Um, so Drew Blevins from Fayetteville, I, I think would probably be my pick, but I think there's, um, I think there's just been a, a ton of guys that have done so well, whether it's been over the course of time or in a, a short amount of time. I, I think, um, you know, Mitch has done a great job in his first two years and what a, a run it's been for him two years on the job in Roanoke. And he's gotten two championship series under his belt. Now he's got a ring. Um, and then for, uh, you know, somebody like Tommy Pecorero from Evansville, who's been in the league for a really long time. I, I think his broadcast has continued to improve over the time that he's been in the SPHL and obviously took his time in the federal league very seriously and tried to improve. Now he's with Evansville. And, and so I think you're seeing both, you know, broadcasters that maybe haven't been in the league as long, really taking advantage of their opportunity. And then broadcasters that have been in the league longer, continuing to improve and not just be complacent. Yeah, I've got a job in broadcasting. You know, th those guys want to get better, whether they're planning on moving on to bigger leagues, whether they're planning on staying in their current market long-term, whatever their plans are, it just seems like every broadcaster in this league really wants to improve. And that was not the case when I first started. So I think it's really cool to see that across the board, that fans can have broadcasters that they rely on because it is significant. I know for the Ice Bears, we've seen a significant growth in our listenership and having a radio affiliate certainly helped. And we definitely appreciate WKCE 105.1 for jumping on board with us this season. And they're planning on being back in 2023, 2024. So uh, really happy to have more radio affiliates across the league as well. As far as favorite Ice Bears players, so I don't really want to answer this question because I don't want to play favorites with guys that I'm technically still employed with. Um, but, you know, since I didn't travel my first seven years, I really didn't get to know a ton of the guys as well as I get to know them now. Um, there are certain players uh, over the course of time that I've always had good relationships with. Uh, Jason Price, obviously, with the amount of games that he played for Knoxville. 
Um, I've always had a really positive relationship with him. Uh, even when he was in Pensacola this past year, you know, got a chance to see him uh, outside the locker room before the game. And, you know, we really didn't talk a whole lot of hockey. Um, his youngest daughter was born about three months after my daughter was. So we we really spent 15 minutes talking about our girls and, and talking about, uh, you know, raising them and just, uh, you know, being being a dad involved in pro hockey and, and having daughters and, and just, you know, the fun dynamic that that brings. So, uh, you know, it really extends more beyond the ice. Uh, Marcus Ortiz, whether he was playing in Quad City or he's back in Knoxville for Legends Night, uh, you know, always greets me and gives me a hug, always asking how my kid's doing. So um, th- there have been players that I've, I've always kind of maintained good relationships with and that's always really cool to see. Um, I've had, I've had some players, you know, during legends night, that was really eye opening for me because, you know, since I didn't know a lot of those guys, I wasn't sure how many of them were really going to remember me. Uh, but you know, Brian Backnack and Jake Flagel and Dennis, uh, uh, David Siegel, all these guys that I really didn't call a whole lot of their games for since I wasn't traveling and they, you know, the, the t- time overlap where they were with Knoxville and I was with Knoxville didn't necessarily equal a lot of games, but they still remembered me, which was really, uh, really special to, to be a part of. That was really cool for, for me. And, and some of the guys remembering inside jokes, Jake Flagel pointing out that I, I once chirped him on the broadcast about how he used two pounds of hair gel uh, before every game. And, and uh, you know, he, uh, he still remembered that and had to remind me of it. So um, very special moments that, um, you know, just being able to kind of hang out with those guys again. And it, it really meant a lot that they still remembered, you know, who I was and, and hearing my calls and stuff like that, just very special. But, but I've, I've always tried to maintain really positive relationships with our players and I'm looking forward to getting to meet new ones next year and having hopefully a lot of our guys from this, this past year's team return as well. Uh, the final question from Chris, who would you have liked to see play for Knoxville? So I'm going to limit this question to players that are retired and that never suited up for the Ice Bears. I don't want to give any current opponent uh, fuel to the fire for when they play against Knoxville this upcoming year. But uh, four skaters and a goalie really stuck out to me. So I'm, I'm kind of going to give you a top five here, Chris. Um, as far as the four skaters, Adam Pollock and, and Corey Banfield, I thought the, the, guy, the dynamic duo for Pensacola, I thought those guys were always so dangerous whenever they were on the ice. And they were also so consistent. You know, they, they didn't play in this league for a super long time, but they were just so consistent together. Um, I, I thought both of those guys were so valuable for what Pensacola was doing when they were chasing championships there in the mid-2000s. Uh, from Columbus, Matt Gingera, I didn't get to call a whole lot of his games. Mike Cragen probably described this better than anybody. Whenever Matt Gingera had the puck in the offensive zone, he closed his eyes on the bench and it made you nervous when he had the puck on a stick. And I remember one goal in particular, he was trying to fight off a double team in the right wing corner and somehow got out of there, quickly swept across the crease and just scored it and seemingly generated a goal out of nowhere. And I, I always thought Jinjera just had that, that big spark potential. Um, and then Jake Hosworth who saw, you know, he had a, a decent stint in the AHL as far as SPHL player standards are concerned. And then, uh, saw some time in the East Coast League and um, and spent about over the course of five seasons in the SPHL and and was a very consistent player no matter what team he was playing for. I always thought Hosworth, you know, especially because of his size, you know, he had great length, uh, which helped in the defensive zone as a center. But I always thought he was a very consistent contributor on offense and was a point per game player in the SPHL over the course of five years. So those are the four skaters that kind of stood out to me. And then the one goalie would be. Sean Bonner. Um, the the season that he had in 2016-17 was just unfair. 
49 games played, put up a 207 average, a 927 save percentage, 32 wins. From an SPHL standpoint, that is just a wild, wild campaign. But he was always so solid throughout his career, and you know that led to him maintaining a job in the ECHL. He had a couple of stints in the AHL. I, I just I thought Sean Bonner, but that particular season, the 16-17 year, man, he was so so good for Fayetteville that season. Um, so I was always really re- impressed with with how he played. Uh, so Chris, really appreciate the question. Um, Tony, who is a Quad City fan, what are your favorite and least favorite arenas to call games in? Um, and I'm going to tie this in with another question from Mitch Stewart, who actually uh, got this one in under the wire right before I re- started recording this podcast. Uh, and Mitch Stewart really just being a troll, longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> what is your favorite broadcast setup in the league? Signed, Joel Silverberg fan. All right, you troll. Thanks for the question, Mitch. Um, but Tony, I do appreciate sincerely the question. Um, so as far as arena, I really, it, and this is, I think is, you know, if you've been to Evansville, then you know, the Ford Center, the Thunderbolts share it with the University of Evansville basketball teams. So it is a very professional setup. You have your own broadcast booth. So Tommy Pecorero, the voice of the Thunderbolts is next to you. Um, they've got the camera set up in a totally different booth. So you have all the space that you need. Um, it's, it's like a private suite. There's a private bathroom right down the hall. They have a food set up there before the game. Uh, so you get fed. There's like a sign that you walk in the Evansville Thunderbolts. Welcome Joel Silverberg of the Knoxville ice bears. Uh, so you are treated like royalty. Tommy P takes care of us when we, when broadcasters go to Evansville, they really take care of us, but also it, it gives us the opportunity because a lot of rinks in the league are a little bit smaller. It gives us the opportunity to call games from what might be more of an ECHL, AHL, NHL type feel in an arena. Um, and, and so that, that I just, you know, that's obviously as far as the overall setup in the arena, that's probably one of the best. Um, I do like the way that Quad Cities Arena is set up for the fan experience. I think it's really neat, especially the way that they have the suites there. Huntsville kind of similar in the same way. Um, I, I think Roanoke does a great job at getting attendance and, and providing a ton of crowd noise. Um, but and, and Birmingham, you know, it's a little different. It's very small. You don't have a lot of room to work with for your broadcast setup. But that angle, that low angle... You actually see the ice really, really well down there. But as far as the overall setup and my favorite place to call a game, I always look forward to going to Evansville. Back when Pensacola used to have the road broadcaster set up in the middle of the concourse, that was really cool because you had the upper deck behind you, the lower deck in front of you. And so when the crowd got really loud, you just were totally immersed in that atmosphere. And it was really neat. Now, since they've set up their broadcast to be able to have us on hockey TV and split the audio and all that. They have me up a little bit higher, so I'm not really in that atmosphere as deep, uh, but still a very cool place to call a game. But my first couple of trips to Pensacola were just so neat because you've got all the fans all around you, and, and they're cordial. They don't you know, they don't mess with the broadcast or anything like that, but it was just cool to see them react and cheer um, and support their team and just to kind of be in the front of all that. Um, so as far as traveling to other arenas, I, th- I think those would, you know, be the tops, but Evansville would, would probably be my favorite setup, but Mitch does do a really good job in Roanoke at making sure that the setup is simple. And I, I try to reciprocate that to him whenever he comes to Knoxville, uh, uh, as far as least favorite arena to call a game in. So Vermilion County is tough because they have you set up behind the goal. You're, you're not at center ice. You're behind the goal. So Vermilion County, 
um, just by default. And and it's it's a good challenge. I try to embrace the challenge. You, you you get used to it. You try to work with it. But man, when your team is attacking at the other end, it is really difficult to see who scored or who took a shot. Sometimes you get lucky and you can see the number, but if there's traffic in front of the net, you can't see it. You are hoping that that goal judge is fast with the lamp uh, because that's really all that you can hope for in that situation. But Tony, really appreciate the question. Uh, Tammy, what team besides the Bears do you think has the most passionate fan base and why? This is from a Roanoke fan. So Tammy, really appreciate the question. Um, so I, I think Roanoke is rapidly climbing that ladder to to start to be able to claim that. Um, if I can't include Knoxville in this question, I would definitely put Pensacola and Huntsville in the mix. You know, the two programs that um, have some of the most championships in history. Huntsville, of course, just set a record with um, attendance, average attendance per game at 5,500 people. What I, but what I also would give the nod to Huntsville for is longevity because you look at the turnover of teams in this league and, and really at any minor league sports league, it, it's not easy to keep going. Like the SPHL is going into its 20th season this year. That is not easy. And it's probably not being talked about enough that there is an independent minor league hockey organization that has been able to sustain itself for two decades and only three of its charter members still have teams. And so you think about that, like if if you had told somebody that, Hey, only three of these teams are going to make it beyond a decade. You're maybe you're not thinking about year 20, but because the league has continued to reach out and it's had more members that have been mainstays like Peoria and Pensacola and, you know, Birmingham has now been around for a while. Roanoke's been around for a while. Um, you know, Macon has had multiple teams over the course of its, of the league's history, but it's a market that, you know, still you can kind of dip into and, and it's not to leave anybody else out, but it really just goes to show how impressive it is that Huntsville is just one of two teams to appear in every single season in the league's history, along with Knoxville, Fayetteville, of course, missed the COVID year when the league only had five teams. But I think longevity really does have to speak volumes for it. And Huntsville's a really difficult place to play. Knoxville went winless there this year. So, you know, I, I think there's something to be said about what Huntsville brings to the Von Braun Center. I think Pensacola is exceptionally passionate. Um, I, as I mentioned before, I think the Ice Flyers do a great job at providing a great atmosphere, but I think Roanoke is getting there. And I think Roanoke is, you know, if it continues on its trend that it's been on the last two seasons, rail yard dog fans are going to start, you know, they probably already claim this anyway, but I think they're going to start being able to make a claim to saying, Hey, we're the, the Berglund center is the toughest place to play in the league. Um, because it is difficult. It gets so loud, especially on a Saturday night. Um, I think the acoustics, the way that that building worked, that plays a part of it. But also, Roanoke saw a, a large growth in attendance this year, over 4,000 fans in attendance per game, um, averaged over 5,000 people per game on a Monday and Tuesday night for the championship series. So th- that that would probably be my vote as far as a team that has been in the league for you know less than six or seven years. Roanoke might have a claim to say, hey, we've got the most passionate fans. But I I think it goes to show this was a record-setting year across the league, not just in Roanoke, not just in Knoxville, not just in Huntsville. So you're seeing more passion come across the SPHL as a whole, which is a good sign to see. That's good for the future of the SPHL. But Tammy, I really appreciate the question. Thank you so much. I appreciate everybody that submitted questions. I appreciate everybody for listening. Might do this again at some point during the offseason again. 
Apple, Google, or Spotify. Leave a five-star rating and review. Tell other SPHL fans that you know about this podcast. And we're going to continue the countdown to October as we wait for the SPHL season to come back. I'm Joel Silverberg. Thank you so much for listening to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.